three, two, one. Welcome back, everybody. We've got Steve Lover. I met Steve, I believe, last year, maybe the year before, and was captivated by two things. Uh, one, his confidence development model. Very unique, made a lot of sense, and I've never seen anything like it. So wanted to share that with all of you. And the second thing is, and the number has grown, he just had his 44th grandchild, uh, which in my book makes him a legend and also an expert. So, um, Steve, thanks for hanging out with us, joining us on the show. It's, it's so funny you say that, Benj, because first off, thank you very much for having me. Uh, we were at one of my daughters just two and a half weeks ago. I had a, a baby boy and we went in and my wife started giving her all kinds of advice with kids. And I looked at my wife and she said, she's got one and a half times more kids than you have. She's a mother of nine. She doesn't need your advice anymore. She kind of has it. And it was a very funny moment, actually, stopping and thinking about, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, she's got it now. The baton has been passed. Steve also has a book uh, now live. It's called Ignite, Fueling World-Class Performance, Even If Your Employees Are Not Yet World-Class. Tell me how this book came to be. So it's really interesting. Um, when I started working with business, I've been working with business owners since 2005, but as of late, the last couple of years, more is going towards leadership. Okay, my business is up. It's running. I know how to get clients. Money's coming through the system, which is where my business was at first. It's now, okay, but I'm hiring employees now. I have no clue what to do with them. And all the systems of, of creating accountability, creating relationships is a brand new business for most business owners. They might know how to create widgets. They might know how to sell widgets, but they don't know how to lead people. And I use the word lead on purpose because it's not manage people. Manage is the way the wrong feel. You manage things, you lead people. Mm. And it's it's a difficulty for most of them. And when you can start to dig down and, okay, how do we help develop our people as people in a way that they become better employees? It's actually really funny. The original title of my book was A Confidence Creator. And I changed it because I realized there is no business owner anywhere in the world that goes to sleep at night saying, how do I get my employees to have more confidence? Yeah. But they all think about how do I get better performance? And the answer is I came to the conclusion that the number one thing that helps people get anywhere is their confidence and confident employees do really cool stuff, but it's because they're confident and they have a model. They understand how to become more confident yeah. and the leader that can help that, employee do that is a different kind of leader and is creating a different culture and a different company. Yeah. So let's dive into it. This is the, the confidence development model that you've, how, how long has this existed in your world? The initial start of the model was back in 2008. Okay. When so I first came up with it. It's grown and developed. And developed. It's, it's gone through some iterations and involvement. But the basic model is almost the same as the year I, I, I found it. I, actually, what the, the backstory behind it, Bench, is it was the self-esteem movement was high and flying very high. And there was something that was hitting me very wrong about that movement. Self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. And I started digging into it and I found, no, it's not true. All the things they promised. Actually, there's a, there was a quote. There's a quote in my book. It's a quote I saw from a guy named Roy Baumeister who's a professor in Florida who was 
very big in the self-esteem movement for over 20 years, and the American Association of Psychology asked him to do a study on all the papers written on how important self-esteem was. There was 15,000 papers, and he got a group together, and they went through all 15,000, and in the end, he said there was about 200 of them that had any scientific basis, and the rest were garbage. And what my thought was, they got it backwards. They think if you give a kid self-esteem, he will go on and do great things. And the truth is just the opposite. Get them to do great things and they'll have self-esteem. And that's actually what most people are looking for when they speak about self-esteem is not really self-esteem, it's confidence. Yeah. And that's-, that's Is there a difference they, between the two? There is a difference. What's the difference? The difference is confidence is you know you can go and do something and you know you can go learn something and you can go learn something else. Self-esteem is how do I feel about myself. Okay. Okay. So one's more internal and one's more external. Yeah. And the problem is the self-esteem. There are a lot of people that have tons of self-esteem that have no reason to have it. And there's a lot of people <laughs> that have zero self-esteem and should have mounds of it. But self-esteem is not the thing that decides who goes out and does things that are great. What does is confidence people know that they can go do it. Yeah. And I think one of the big ahas of the whole thing with special confidence is people think confidence comes before success. And it's actually just the opposite. Confidence comes from success. So you get a, you have a success, you become more confident. You get better at it, you become more confident. And as you become more confident, you become more confident at being able to learn the new skills and do the things you have to do. And so success precedes confidence, not the other way around. I can sit and do kumbaya all, all, all day long I want. If I want, but I'm not going to get better at what I do. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like um, if you manufacture confidence, it has no basis for reality. But if you build it on a sequence of bigger and bigger successes, even if they're small, right, it starts to fuel that machine. It's actually you can't even – there is no way to, to manufacture it. It's it's it, false. It's a house right, of cards, correct. right? It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's got it has no teeth to it, and the truth is, is we're all born confident. You ever saw an unconfident baby? Mm -hmm. Watch a kid learn to walk. He'll fall a thousand times. He doesn't care. He's going to learn to walk. If we had to start learning to walk at age twenty, majority of the world be, would be crawling into meetings. Wow. Yeah. There'd be one guy who pushed himself and he got there, and he would be the guy running the meeting. But the rest of us would be coming. Probably with, uh, you know, some type of apparatus on our knees to keep them <laughs> a little bit. But we're crawling in, no doubt about it. So the one of the challenges, I'm curious how you're going to do this. Because the thing that uh, made your model click with me was your visual. And so we can put that image in the show notes. People can go uh, look at it. But are you able to describe it without that visual? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. There are three things that come together to create confidence. So if you take for a minute, imagine a Venn diagram, three circles interact. And if, you, if, if, you, if you're listening to this or watching this and you're somewhere you can write it down, try it because it's, it's, it's really quite elegant. In the top circle is the word challenge. Accepting upon yourself a challenge. There's something I am not good at and I'm going to get good. I'm going to get good at. That's the top circle of the three. And there's one in the bottom right and bottom left. The one in the bottom right is, this might have even changed a little bit, Ben, since the last time you saw it, is deliberate action. 
meaning you're taking effort towards making that happen, but in a way that makes sense. And then finally, the bottom left is getting results. So when you take up a new challenge and that challenge is uncomfortable because you're not good at it yet. And the problem as adults, because of a whole host of things that I delineate in the book, especially school, school is made to really turn you into a human robot. Yeah. Schools right. are not made to create fulfilled people. And there's a whole history on it. There's a, there's a, there's a great book from Seth Golden called stop stealing dreams that you can get online that, delineate schools and what they're really all about. And it's, it's crazy when you see that. And I have a whole chapter on that also. But what happens is when you step out of your comfort zone to do something new and you take it out and you go ahead and you do it and you get the results, the thing that comes out of that is confidence. And it gets very, very exciting because here, I, you know, and it, just watch. Sports is a great place to watch this. Yeah. Somebody who's not, it's just such a great analogy to the real world. But that's what happens. They go and they take on something that's ridiculous, right? Roger Bannister, the four-minute mile. And he does it. And he takes the, the, the challenge. He puts forth the deliberate action and the, and the practice and the effort. And the other end, he gets the results. And all of a sudden, you become a very confident person. And this happens, find this by salespeople. Now, that's the easy one for me to, 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 to speak about, having been spent a lot of time in sales and sales management, is when a guy takes on, okay, I'm going to call X number of people a week, or I'm going to interact or have X number of presentations, and he goes and he actually does it, and he gets the results and he's making money. His ability to step forward and do the next thing gets so much more because yeah. confidence comes from success. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you remind me of uh, just anybody who ever talks about – uh, Kobe Bryant playing basketball. It, it was uh, not that he was the tallest. He actually had smaller hands than most. And he just would out outwork everybody. And uh, it's the deliberate action. And that continued to yield bigger and bigger results and bigger challenges. And um, I, mean, I think Michael Jordan's got that, that failure quote that everybody oh, likes yeah. to put up. Yeah. I missed 98,000 you know. shots or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, and, but it didn't stop him from shooting. And that's the main thing. And that's the kid walking, never stopped him and never stopped him until he got there. And the big difference between that kid is when he was trying to do what he was doing, he had a parent on the other side of the room clapping for him to make it. And every time he took two more steps, he had an environment that had encouragement to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about when, when you said the four minute mile, like he also opened up a whole, I don't know if this is confidence, but a whole world of potential, like other people go, Oh, it's possible. And with that little child walking, he knows it's possible because everybody else is around him. So there's something about right. the environment of possibility, um, that, that creates confidence that I know I should be able to, or I can't, if I put in the effort, it is possible. Hey, listener, we don't spend much time talking about ourselves on this podcast because we want to really be bringing you new ideas from outside sources for inspiration, for your own leadership, for your own organization. And we don't like talking about ourselves, but we're going to let somebody else talk about us for a second and brag on us. And I hope this gives you a little insight into what System and Soul is doing in the businesses that we're getting to work with. I'm in love with this whole new framework because anything that I do is always about soul. 
And I've never been able to marry process and the soul of an organization together. And this is the first time that I feel like I have the ability to do that. I've been a part of the EOS journey for many, many years. I've worked in a nonprofit. Of course, when I joined Orbis, I've been through several different implementers. Um, and the evolution of the system and soul framework is just brilliant for me um, because it's just, yeah, we have to care about culture. We have to care about these things called values. It's more than just some plaque on a wall. They're, you know, it's just not some talking point that we say to employees when they first start applying. Like it has to be, we have to live, we have to breathe, we have to show by example. Um, and this is the first time that I've ever been able to really like embrace that and then have a, a ground to stand on when I'm having really difficult conversations about the direction of our business. And it's just been, it's been really exciting. If you want to discover breakthrough in your business by becoming a system and soul coach or finding one of our coaches to help your business, you can always learn more at systemandsoul.com. So actually that, that idea is I should be able to is a real killer for most adults. Oh, talk about that. Yeah, sure. Because I have something, again, a chapter called the adult learning method. And basically with the adult learning methods, you try something two, three, four, five times, say, okay, I'm not good at this. Mm. I should be able to do this and I can't. Yeah. And the answer is no, you shouldn't be able to do it. You've never done it before. Why should you be able to do it? It takes many iterations. You have to be lousy before you can be good. You have to be good before you can be great. Yes. And so what happens, like I should be able to, is something that is a killer for people. Yeah. Instead, I'm going to go out and do it and do it until I get it. And I will get it. You know, there's, there's a golf swing. There's everything you do. There's practices that you have to keep doing. And yes, if everyone else around can do it, then I can do it also. Let me do what I have to do to get there. Yeah. But kind of that little voice in the back of your mind that's shooting you all the time is, is a really big problem. Yeah, I can see that. So, so this Venn diagram, um, you could have drawn it almost like a, a cycle challenge action result, but you didn't. You chose a Venn diagram, and I know that was purposeful. So what's in the intersection of those circles? The intersections increase confidence. That is where confidence comes from. Now, what ends up happening is when you, especially this is especially important in the workplace, when you understand how this works and you help your employees, everybody take a quarterly challenge that's outside their comfort zone. This becomes a cycle. And every time there's a win in the cycle, let's go get another one. Let's go get another because yeah. it's exciting. It's really exciting to accomplish. And unfortunately, most people don't understand this. They don't have it with them. They get frustrated. They have a goal and they don't reach it. And they're not quite sure how to go there. And there's nobody there for them. So when you set that up, are you setting up the challenge or the desired result? Or is that oh, one and so, the same? So, yes, they're one and the same. One's before, one's after. Okay. Right? On a yeah. certain level. But the, the, So the real power of the biogram comes with the, the next layer that we put on top of it. Because this part of the diagram that we just said, that's about how you create your own confidence. What do you have to do to help your employees, your children, anybody you're dealing with that you have influence on? How do you help them grow their confidence? And the answer to that question is just like there's three circles, there's a word on the outside of each of the circle for the, the business owner, the manager, the leader, the parent, the teacher. And so first off, 
It's we inspire the challenge. And that's a very important word again. We speak a lot in business about motivation. And to me, motivation is completely the wrong place in business. And I'll give you a distinction in a second. Instead, I think we need to speak about inspiration. And here's my distinction. When I motivate you, I get you to do things that I want you to do for my reasons. Mm. When I inspire you, I get you to do things that you want to do for your reasons. And the difference behind that is huge. So the sales manager comes in and starts picking on the salesman, beating up, we need more, we need more, we need more. Yeah. I literally, as an insurance salesman, once had a field manager come in. He wrote a bunch of numbers on the board. He said, guys, this is your commissions last week. I can't live on my override on that meeting over. I, I, it's like, wow, that you guys should become a motivational speaker someday, you know? <laughs> like, that, you, you're missing the boat. Oh, yeah, now I want to go out and work for you, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's how do we inspire them? Listen, you know, you sit and talk to the guy and you say, guys, you can't be happy living in this. Yeah. You need more. What do you want? Well, tell me what you want. What's your vision? What's your vision? What's the vision? Okay, how can I help you get to that vision? Because that vision will always be where you want it to. And now the, 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 the employee wins and the manager wins and the company wins. But the motivation style that, you know, what I mean? beatings will continue till morale gets better, right? You know, that's, yeah. that's the motivation world. And that's a big mistake. So inspiration is the first thing that the manager, leader, parent, teacher does. The second thing in the bottom right where we had deliberate action, you'd write the word encourage. And this is also a very big, big concept. And the concept is when you're doing something outside of your comfort zone, you need courage because it's fearful. One huge mistake people make is they think that fear and courage are opposites. Either you're fearful or you're courageous. And it's not true. You only need courage when you're fearful. If you're not fearful, there's no reason to have courage. Best definition I ever heard, Dan, Dan Sullivan, had a, I've heard it from him on podcast. I saw it on a LinkedIn post. He was in the Army, and they were throwing grenades for the first time. And the sergeant asked, which one of you guys are fr frightened? And the only guy who raised his hand was Dan Sullivan. So he said, he's the only guy I trust because the rest of you are liars. <laughs> and he said, guys, I want you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with being fearful. But... To acquire courage when you're fearful is important. And the definition is like this. When you're fearful, you wet your pants. And when you're courageous, you do what you have to do with wet pants on. Very powerful. Very powerful. So courageous people, it's not that they don't feel fear. They feel yeah. fear like everybody yeah. else. But they say, okay, I got to push through it and do what I got to do. And it's like when bankruptcy attorney once told me, he said, people think when they commit bankruptcy, they're jumping out of the window and they find out afterwards it's a basement window. <laughs> you know, so it's not pushing through that. I don't, I don't, I'm not making a, I'm not trying to say go ahead and, and do bankruptcy. That was his that was his pitch. <laughs> but the point is, is very often those fears we have, we think we're on the 15th floor and about to jump out the window and we jump and we find out we're from coming from the basement. So, so courage and fear are, are not opposites. They're on the same side of the table. And if you do not fear anything, there's no reason to be courageous. You don't have to be courageous to do things you know you're comfortable doing. So what, is, so what does a person do when he's taking that deliberate action and it's difficult? He needs somebody to encourage him. And interesting, if you look up the word encourage in the dictionary, encourage means to give somebody else courage. Mm. 
Now, what the interesting thing is, if I'm not going through the middle of the difficulty of getting it done, it's kind of very easy for me to encourage you. Yeah. Right? And Benji, do you ever lift weights at all? Yeah. All right. So when you're bench pressing, you went to a new, a new number and you're getting there and you kind of want to do 10 and you get to eight and it's going tough and you're pushing. You got somebody spotting you. What does he do? He pushes you. Come on. You got He this. says, you got it. It's you. It's all you. It's all you. He's holding, he's got his hands on the bar to catch it. It's all you. Come on, come on, come on. And you're able to push through and get all yeah. 10, which you would have not have done without yeah. that person there. Or in fact, bungee jumping. If you ever look at a video of bungee jumping, something I would never even consider doing, but you have guys all sitting there and the newbies, everybody counts for them. Or you can count from 10 down and then you're going to jump. 10, 9, 8. As you watch the video, you see the guys getting tense and watch the call. As he gets down, all of a sudden he just jumps. Well, he jumps because he's got other people encouraging that he can make that. I believe 50% of the people who bungee jump would have never made the jump if they didn't have those guys around mm -hmm. them encouraging them yeah so when you encourage something and by the way encouragement is not only encouragement we always think this positive grandfatherly figure who's saying soft words and, and watch you know it's not always that lou holtz was a great encourager and my guess is if you would go through 34 years of players that played for coach holtz and ask him was he a nice guy nobody would say he was a nice guy but at the same time, if you ask all three, 34 years of them, hey, can you remember a time when coach was soft and he really helped you? Oh, yeah, that time this and this happened, coach was there for me. He had that soft side. He had that ability. But he also had the ability to say, come on, you want this. You have to take the steps. Let's go, right? So the sales manager is guys just not picking up the phone because it feels like 300 pounds. Look, yeah, okay, it's it's 230. Come back 3.30 and tell me you made 15 phone calls. Help them make take the steps that they want to They know they want to take it. They're right. not taking it, right? They're not taking it, not because uh, the fear is big. And so they need the courage, and they don't have enough courage. Encourage them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the word outside the results? Uh, celebrate. Really super important. Super, super important. Probably the most missed opportunity of every leader is to celebrate his people properly. Man. When they do something right. And I'll take an example of a high school kid, for example, on this one just is off. But it works in business, works everywhere. You have a kid who's always struggled in math. And he just comes home with a 99 on his math test. He's a 15-year-old kid. Dad looks and says, Johnny, good job. That's almost a compliment. But if dad says, hey, Johnny, you know, I know you struggled in math for years. It's the first time you ever got a 99. But I also noticed the last two weeks, you've worked really hard and you spend a lot of time working to get the math right. And you got it right. I'm really proud of you and I'm really proud to be your father. Maybe we should go for ice cream together. That's a celebration. And by the way, it doesn't have to be something big. Yeah. It could be something big. And sometimes there are reasons to have big things. But here's the question. When that father has that celebration with Johnny, what are the chances Johnny's going to look and say, not only does he have math confidence, but I have confidence that I can go conquer other subjects or other things that I want to do that I can't do? Yeah. And that's where your cycle that you mentioned before comes in. Hey, everybody. I've been talking a lot about this book, Renegades. 
as a book for founders, and it is for founders, but a little secret, I also had in mind the people that work with or survive working with a renegade. They feel like untamable human beings. My hope for you is twofold. One, that you would actually be able to understand what's happening with that renegade a little more deeply and be able to bring some sympathy, some empathy. But also, number two, I think if you understand it better, you can actually understand why you are massively valuable for the organization to catapult past the capacity of that renegade. I'm not saying that the renegade doesn't matter and needs to get out of the way, but we need their energy to be a renegade while the organizations that we're part of mature into our possibilities. Talking a lot to founders and renegades, but if you're not one, this book may also be for you. If you find yourself surrounded or, or in a working relationship with somebody that feels like a bit of a renegade, uh, I would love for you to join us in this journey with this book. And I would love to hear from you uh, how it impacts your life. You can put your email in the link below and we'll put a free first chapter in your inbox right now. Book drops on October 17th on Amazon. I'm sure you'll see me back in your LinkedIn feed to tell you all about it. See you soon. I'm struck by um, how personal all three of those actions are. It, it is, it is, it is tactical. Like you're giving practical, tactical tips, but you can't do it outside of a personal relationship with that other person. A hundred thousand percent. I'll even take it a step further than that. And that is the other person has to know you got their back. When you are working with somebody, when you're a teacher or you're a parent or you're a, a, a business owner or a manager, and that person knows you're there rooting for them, they do amazing things. Yeah. But if they don't know that you really care about them and really care even, let's go even to the, the L word, the love word, right? <laughs> that you have love for them and it me makes a difference to you that they're successful, not just that they do the stuff for the business. Yeah. I used to teach public speaking to seventh graders. My kid's school had come to me and asked me if I'd be willing to do that now. Seventh grade is a very awkward time of life. And we used to get, the kids used to get up and give a speech and I would evaluate it. And what, in an evaluation is always, well, these are the things you did really well, but you know what else comes in the evaluation? Next time try this, could have done this better, couldn't have yep, better. Yep. Very hard to get that in front of a whole group of people and very hard to hear that. Kids always did great by me. I actually once had a kid that I saw here in the building. He said, we loved your class. I said, no one ever told me that before. He said, don't get me wrong. We were petrified of you, but we loved your class. Hmm. And I think that the underlying piece of it, you know, seventh grade, if you, if you don't have run a tight ship, you're not going to have much of a class. Kids are getting up speaking, sitting down, other ones coming up. But I think the bottom line is every kid knew that I really wanted them to become a better speaker. Yeah. I want them to be able to do that. I, I, I have a deep passion for that. I actually have, right now I do a school for assistant for, for um, student rabbis who are going to be going into the communities. I do an eight-week course for public speaking for them. Same thing. But I think that anybody who's ever walked through any of my classes would, on speaking especially, would come and say, listen, that guy really wanted us to get somewhere. 
he wanted us to move and he was willing to be honest and open and give us the kudos when we deserve it and calls on it. Yeah. And I think that's more or less what Lou, Lou Holtz was. Yeah. Um, not even critical, but, but feedback, real feedback, positive or negative is in such, like, I think people are desperate for it and we're scared of it, right? Because we don't know what's coming, but we're desperate for it because there's not a whole lot of places in our environment, in our culture where we can get that. It's either a lot of false kudos or, you know, harsh critics, but to get somebody that feels like they have your back, their best interest and are willing to give you both sides of it is so rare. So yes, that is a, that's, a huge gift. That's actually another distinction I deal with the difference between pleasing and serving. Mm, talk there's about a lot that. of people in the business world that like to be pleasing. They like people to love them. They mm -hmm. want to, you know, and they don't, they don't step out to say the uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when you're serving, you're willing to sell, tell the people the best thing for them, whether whether that's comfortable or not. And I actually have a really good way of doing this. I, I, I found something interesting in my coaching practice is I would speak to a business owner and I would see something glaring in our first meeting and I'd love to tell him about it, but I was a little bit timid. Let's wait and see if he becomes a client. I don't want to go there. And at some point I said, you know, that's pleasing. You got to mm. start being serving. And so now no matter what it is, I will – say it. And I, I've developed a really nice way of doing it. And basically I asked the following question. I have something uncomfortable for me to share with you and it's going to be uncomfortable for you to hear is now a good time. Very powerful. Yeah. And they hear it and they say, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then you ask the question and, you know, I had a couple, the husband, wife team, and they spoke to each other just horribly. And I said, do you always talk to each other like this? She says, wow, I wasn't expecting that question. And we had a discussion about it, but this is, there's no question this is impacting their business and their employees. And so I always look for it. And what I found is something really interesting. What I used to think would kill opportunities is actually created opportunities. Absolutely. Because people are starving people, for it. Yes. When people see that I care enough that I'm willing yes. to have the opportunity to, I would lose them perhaps, and I'll do it anyways because that's the best thing for their Okay, that's a guy who's got my back. That's a guy I'd like to work with. Yeah, I'm going to mess this I mean, up a little bit, but I think it was uh, Colin Powell who said leadership is being willing to be unliked. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's, there's actually another piece to that. It's being willing to be unliked for doing something good for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And I was, you're serving them. You're doing the right thing for them, and they dislike it. That doesn't make a difference. I'm doing what's best for them. Yeah. That's, um, man, this is, um, I'm reminded why I love talking to you the first time we interacted and, and so much of this is just maybe not even new, but it's convicting. We all need to remind it of this. I think putting it in a, in a model that makes it actionable, tangible, like we can remember, we can even check in with ourselves with uh, specific direct reports and say, all right, where are they in they're in their cycle, you know, in, in this process of growing in their own courage and confidence. Um, I, I just, I love this and I'm appreciative of you. Uh, I'm honored to know you. I'm better for understanding this model and I'm super excited for your new book. So congratulations. Thank you um, very much. Uh, do you have 45, 46 on the way? Or are we, we staying at 44 for a while? I, not that I know of right now. All right. All right. But I don't, I don't find out automatically right away. <laughs> You're on delayed loop. I got it. All right. Well, everybody, um, jump on Amazon. The book's called Ignite by Steve Lover. Uh, fueling 
world-class performance, even if your employees are not yet world-class. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, Steve. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing more from you. All right. See you soon. System of Soul, if you enjoyed the episode, um, well, first of all, make sure if you weren't in a place that you could write it down, go uh, to the show notes and grab the Venn diagram. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. It's it's really helpful reminder. Print it out, put it on your desk, and uh, start to get that into uh, your kind of main toolkit as a leader, and I believe it'll make all the difference in the world. Share this with somebody that you know would find it useful, and we'll see you next time.